The Heroes of Faith Hebrews Chapter 11 By Arthur W. Fink Table of Contents 27 Chapters Chapter 1 The Excellency of Faith Hebrews 11 Verses 1 to 3 Ere we take up the contents of the eleventh chapter of Hebrews, let us very briefly review the epistle itself. Chapters 1 and 2 are more or less introductory in their character. In them, the wondrous person of the God-man mediator is presented to our view as superior to the Old Testament prophets and as excelling the angels. The first main division of the epistle commences at chapter 3, verse 1, and runs to the end of chapter 4, verse 15, and treats of the mission of Christ. This is seen to surpass that of either Moses or Joshua, for neither of them led the people into the real rest of God. The section is followed by a practical application in chapter 4, verse 16. The second principal division begins with chapter 5, verse 1, and extends to chapter 10, verse 18, and deals with the priesthood of Christ. This is shown to transcend the ironic in dignity, efficacy, and permanency. The section is followed by a practical application contained in chapter 10, verse 19, to chapter 12, verse 29. The closing chapter forms a conclusion to the epistle. The general nature of this epistle, as unto the kind of writing, is paranetical or hortatory, which is taken from its end and design. The exhortation proposed is to constancy and perseverance in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the profession of the gospel against temptations and persecutions. Both these the Hebrews had to conflict with in their profession, the one from the Judaical church state itself, the other from the members of it. Their temptations to draw back and forsake their profession arose from the consideration of the Judaical church state and Mosaic ordinances of worship, which they were called by the gospel to relinquish. The divine institution of that state with its worship, the solemnity of the covenant whereon it was established, the glory of its priesthood, sacrifices and other divine ordinances, Romans 9 verse 4, with their efficacy for acceptance with God, were continually proposed unto them and pressed on them, to allure and draw them off from the gospel. And the trial was very great after the inconsistency of the two states was made manifest. For therein, declaring the nature, use, end, and signification of all divine institutions under the Old Testament, and allowing unto them all the glory and efficacy which they could pretend unto, the writer of this epistle declares from the scripture itself that the state of the gospel church in its high priest, sacrifice, covenant, worship, privileges and efficacy is incomparably 
to be preferred above that of the Old Testament. Yea, that all the excellency and glory of that state and all that belonged unto it consisted only in the representation that was made thereby of the greater glory of Christ and the gospel, without which they were of no use, and therefore ruinous or pernicious to be persisted in. John Owen declared, after he had fixed their minds in the truth and armed them against the temptations which they were continually exposed to, the Apostle proceeds to the second means, whereby their steadiness and constancy in the profession of the gospel, which he exhorted them unto, was already assaulted, and was yet likely to be assaulted with greater force and fury. This arose from the opposition which befell them, and from the persecutions of all sorts that they had endured, and were still likely to undergo. For their faith in Christ Jesus, with the profession thereof, and observance of the holy worship ordained in the gospel. This they suffered from the obstinate members of the Jewish church, as they did the other temptation from the state of the church itself. An account hereof the apostle enters upon in the close of the foregoing chapter, and with all declares unto them the only way and means on their part, whereby they may be preserved and kept constant in their profession, notwithstanding all the evils that might befall them therein. And this is by faith alone. From their temptations they were delivered by the doctrine of the truth, and from the opposition made unto them by faith and exercise. End of quote. The particular character of the section, begun at chapter 10, verse 19, is not difficult to ascertain. It is addressed to our responsibility. This is at once evident in the letters of chapter 10, verses 22, 23, 24. In chapter 10, verses 32 to 36, there is a call to patient waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. Nothing but real faith in the veracity of the promiser can sustain the heart and prompt a steady endurance during a protracted season of trial and suffering. Hence, in chapter 10, verse 38, the Apostle quotes that striking word from Habakkuk, The just shall live by his faith. Chapter 2, verse 4. That sentence really forms the text of which Hebrews 11 is the sermon. The central design of this chapter is to evidence the patience of those who in former ages endured by faith before they received the fulfillment of God's promises. Note particularly verses 13 and 39. John Calvin wrote, Whoever made this, verse 1, the beginning of the 11th chapter, has unwisely disjointed the context. For the object of the Apostle was to prove what he had already said, that there is need of patience. He had quoted the testimony of Habakkuk, who says that 
that just lives by faith. He now shows what remained to be proved, that faith can no more be separated from patience than from itself. The order then of what he says is this, We shall not reach the goal of salvation except we have patience, for the prophet declares that the just lives by faith. But faith directs us to things afar off which we do not as yet enjoy. It then necessarily includes patience. Therefore, the minor proposition in the argument is this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. End of quote. John Brown stated, The Apostle now, for the illustration and enforcement of his exhortation, brings forward a great variety of instances from history of former ages in which faith had enabled individuals to perform very difficult duties, endure very severe trials, and obtain very important blessings. The principles of the Apostles' exhortation are plainly these. They who turn back, turn back unto perdition. It is only they who persevere in believing that obtain salvation of the soul. Nothing but a persevering faith can enable a person, through a constant continuance in well-doing and a patient, humble submission to the will of God, to obtain that glory, honor, and immortality which the gospel promises. Nothing but a persevering faith can do this, and a persevering faith can do it, as is plain from what it has done in former ages. The order of thought followed by the Apostle in Hebrews 11, as ably and hopefully set forth by an early Puritan, William Perkins, 1595, wrote, The parts of this whole chapter are two. First, a general description of faith, verses 1 to 4. Second, an illustration or declaration of that description by a large rehearsal of manifold examples of ancient and worthy men in the Old Testament, verses 4 to 40. The description of faith consists of three actions or effects of faith set down in three several verses. The first effect is that faith makes things which are not, but only are hoped for, after a sort, to subsist and to be present with the believer. Verse 1. The second effect is that faith makes a believer approved of God. Verse 2. The third effect is that faith makes a man understand and believe things incredible to sense and reason. And of course. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11 verse 1. The opening now has almost the force of four, denoting a farther confirmation of what had just been declared. At the close of chapter 10, the Apostle had just affirmed that the saving of the soul is obtained through believing, whereupon 
he now takes occasion to show what faith is and does. That faith can and does preserve the soul, prompting to steadfastness under all sorts of trials and issuing in salvation, may not only be argued from the effects which is its very nature to produce, but is illustrated and demonstrated by one example after another, cited in the verses which follow. It is important to bear in mind at the outset that Hebrews 11 is an amplification and exemplification of chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. The faith which the Apostle is describing and illustrating is that which has the saving of the soul annexed to it. Thomas Manton, 1670, said, In verse 1, there is the thing described and the description itself. The thing described is faith. The description is this. It is the substance of things hoped for, and so forth. The description is proper according to the rules of art. Habits or graces are described by their formal acts, and acts restrained to their proper objects. So faith is here described by its primary and formal acts, which are referred to their distinct objects. The acts of faith are two. It is the substance, it is the evidence. Think it not strange that I call them acts, for that is it the Apostle intends. Therefore, Beza says, in rendering this place, he had rather paraphrased the text than obscure the scope, and he interpreteth it thus. Faith substantiates or gives a subsistence to our hopes and demonstrates things not seen. There is a great deal of difference between the acts of faith and the effects of faith. The effects of faith are reckoned up throughout this chapter. The formal acts of faith are in this verse. These acts are suited with their objects. As the matters of belief are yet to come, faith gives them substance, a being, as they are hidden from the eyes of sense and carnal reason. Faith also gives them an evidence and doth convince men of the worth of them, so that one of these acts belongs to the understanding, the other to the will. End of quote. The contents of verse 1 do not furnish so much a formal definition of faith as they supply a terse description of how it operates and what it produces. Faith whether natural or spiritual, is the belief of a testimony. Here, faith is believing the testimony of God. How it operates in reference to the subjects of this testimony, whether they be considered simply as future or as both invisible and future, and the effects produced in and on the soul. The Holy Spirit here explains. First he tells us, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The Greek word rendered substance has been variously translated. 
The margin of the authorized version gives ground of confidence. The revised version has assurance in the text and giving substance to in the margin. The Greek word is hypostasis and is rendered confident. Should be this confidence of boasting as in Baxter's interlinearity in both 2 Corinthians 9.4 and 11.17. Persons should be subsistence or essential being in Hebrews 1.3 and confidence in chapter 3 verse 14. Personally, the writer believes it has a double force so will seek to expound it accordingly. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for. In this chapter and in general throughout the New Testament, faith is far more than a bare assent to anything revealed and declared by God. It is a firm persuasion of that which is hoped for, because it assures its possessor not only that there are such things, but that through the power and faithfulness of God he shall yet possess them. Thus it becomes the ground of expectation. The word of God is the objective foundation on which my hopes rest. But faith provides a subjective foundation, for it convinces me of the certainty of them. Faith and confidence are inseparable, just so far as I am counting upon the ability and fidelity of the promiser. Shall I be confident of receiving the things promised and which I am expecting. We believe and are sure. John 6, verse 69. From what has just been said, the reader will perhaps perceive better the force of the rather peculiar word substance in the text of the authorized version. It comes from two Latin words, sub, stands, meaning standing under. Faith provides a firm standing ground while I await the fulfillment of God's promises. Faith furnishes my heart with a sure support during the interval. Faith believes God and relies upon His veracity. As it does so, the heart is anchored and remains steady. No matter how fierce the storm nor how protracted the season of waiting, these all died in faith not having received the fulfillment of the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. Hebrews 11 verse 13 Real faith issues in a confident and standing expectation of future things. As Matthew Henry said, faith is the substance of things hoped for, as the marginal reading of the Revised Version suggests, giving substance to, crediting the sure testimony of God, resting on His promises and expecting the accomplishment of them. Faith gives the object hoped for at a future period, a present reality and power in the soul, as if already possessed. For the believer is satisfied with the security afforded and acts under the full persuasion that God will not fail of his engagement. Faith gives the soul an appropriating hold of them. Faith 
is a firm persuasion and expectation that God will perform all that He has promised to us in Christ. And this persuasion is so strong that it gives the soul a kind of possession and present fruition of those things, gives them a subsistence in the soul by the first fruits and foretaste of them, so that believers in the exercise of faith are filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Unquote. The confident expectation which faith inspires gives the objects of the Christian's hope a present and actual being in his heart. Faith does not look out with cold thoughts about things to come, but imparts life and reality to them. Faith does for us spiritually what fancy does for us naturally. There is a faculty of the understanding which enables us to picture to the mind's eye things which are yet future. But faith does more. It gives not an imaginary appearance to things, but a real subsistence. Faith is a grace which unites subject and object. There is no need to ascend to heaven, for faith makes distant things nigh. See Romans 10, verses 6 and 7. Faith, then, is the bond of union between the soul and the things God has promised. By believing, we receive. By believing in Christ, He becomes ours. John 1, verse 12. Therefore does faith enable the Christian to praise the Lord for future blessings as though he were already in the full possession of them. But how does faith bring to the heart a present subsistence of future things? First, by drawing from the promises that which by divine institution is stored up in them. Hence they are called the breasts of consolation. Isaiah 66 verse 11. Second, by making the promises the food of the soul. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, which cannot be, unless they are really present unto it. Third, by conveying an experience of their power, as unto all the ends of which they are purposed. It is as divine truth is appropriated and assimilated that it becomes powerfully operative in the soul. Fourth, by communicating unto us the first fruits of the promises, faith gives a living reality to what it absorbs, and so real and potent is the impression made that the heart is changed into the same image. Second Corinthians three verse eighteen. Ere passing on, let us pause for a word of application. Many profess to believe. But what influence have their hopes upon them? How are they affected by the things which their faith claims to have laid hold of? I profess to believe that sin is a most heinous thing. Do I fear, hate, shun it? I believe that ere long I shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Does my conduct events that I am living in the light of that solemn day. I believe that the world is an empty bubble, 
Do I despise its painted tinsel? I believe that God will supply all my needs. Am I fearful about the moral? I believe that prayer is an essential means unto growth and grace. Do I spend much time in the secret place? I believe that Christ is coming back again. Am I diligent in seeking to have my lamp trimmed and burning? Faith is evident by its fruit, works, effects. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. The Greek noun here rendered evidence, proving in the revised version with test in the margin, is derived from a verb which signifies to convince, and that by demonstration. It was used by the Lord Jesus when he uttered that challenge, Which of you convicteth me of sin? John 8, verse 46. The noun occurs in only one other place, namely 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, or conviction, to give assurance and certainty of what is true. Thus the word evidence in our text denotes that which furnishes proof, so that one is assured of the reality and certainty of things divine. Faith, then, is first the hand of the soul which lays hold of the contents of God's promises. Second, it is the eye of the soul which looks out toward and represents them clearly and convincingly to us. To unbelievers, the invisible, spiritual and future things revealed in God's word seem dubious and unreal, for they have no medium to perceive them. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 But the child of God sees him who is invisible. Hebrews 11.27 Perhaps we might illustrate it thus. Two men stand on the deck of a ship gazing toward the far horizon. The one sees nothing. The other describes the details of a distant steamer. The former has only his unaided eyesight. The latter is using a telescope. Now, just as a powerful glass brings home to the eye an object beyond the range of natural vision, so faith gives reality to the heart of things outside the range of our physical sense. Faith sets divine things before the soul in all the light and power of demonstration, and thus provides inward conviction of their existence. Matthew Henry said, Faith demonstrates to the eye of the mind the reality of those things which cannot be discerned by the eye of the body. Unquote. The natural man prefers a life of sense and to believe nothing more than that which is capable of scientific demonstration. When eternal things, yet invisible, are pressed upon him, he is full of objections against them. 
Those are the objections of unbelief stirred into activity by the fiery darts of Satan, and not but the shield of faith can quench them. But when the Holy Spirit renews the heart, the prevailing power of unbelief is broken. Faith argues, God has said it, so it must be true. Faith so convinces the understanding that it is compelled by force of arguments unanswerable to believe the certainty of all God has spoken. The conviction is so powerful that the heart is influenced thereby and the will moved to conform thereto. This it is which causes the Christian to forsake the pleasures of sin which are only for a season. Hebrews 11.25 Because by faith he has laid hold of those satisfying pleasures at God's right hand which are forevermore. Psalm 16 verse 11 To sum up the contents of verse 1 To unbelief the objects which God sets before us in His Word seem unreal and unlikely, nebulous and vague. But faith visualizes the unseen, giving substantiality to the things hoped for and reality to things invisible. Faith shuts its eyes to all that is seen and opens its ears to all God has said. Faith is a connective power which overcomes carnal reasonings, carnal prejudices, and carnal excuses. It enlightens the judgment, molds the heart, moves the will, and reforms the life. It takes us off earthly things and worldly vanities and occupies us with spiritual and divine realities. It emboldens against discouragements, laughs, at difficulties, resists the devil, and triumphs over temptations. It does so because it unites the soul to God and draws strength from Him. Thus faith is altogether a supernatural thing. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Hebrews 11 verse 2 Having described the principal qualities of faith, the Apostle now proceeds to give further proof of its excellency, as is evident from the opening four. It is by faith we are approved of God. By the elders is signified those who lived in former times, namely the Old Testament saints, included among the fathers, or chapter 1, verse 1. It was not by their amiability, sincerity, earnestness, or any other natural virtue, but by faith that the ancients obtained a good report. This declaration was made by the Apostle with the purpose of reminding the Hebrews that their pious progenitors were justified by faith, and to the end of the chapter he shows that faith was the principle of all their holy obedience, eminent services, and patient sufferings in the cause of God. Therefore, those who were spiritually united to them must have something more than physical descent from them. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Observe the beautiful accuracy of Scripture. It was not for their faith, 
nor could it be without it, but by their faith. It was not a cause, yet it was a condition. There was nothing meritorious in it, yet it was a necessary means. Let us also observe that faith is no new thing, but a grace planted in the hearts of God's elect from the beginning. Then, as now, faith was a substance of things hoped for, promises to be accomplished in the future. The faith of Abel laid hold of Christ as truly as does ours. God has had but one way of salvation since sin entered the world, by grace, through faith, not of works. They are grossly mistaken who suppose that under the old covenant people were saved by keeping the law. The fathers had the same promise we have, not merely of Canaan, but of heaven. See chapter 11, verse 16. The Greek for obtained a good report is not in the active voice, but the passive, literally, were witnessed of, an honorable testimony being borne to them. Compare verses 4 and 5. God took care that a record should be kept, complete in heaven, in part transcribed in the scriptures, of all the actings of their faith. God has borne witness to the fact that Enoch walked with him. Genesis 5.24 That David was a man after his own heart. 1 Samuel 13.14 That Abraham was his friend. 2 Chronicles 20.7 This testimony of his acceptance of them because of their faith was borne by God, not only externally in his word, but in their consciences. He gave them his spirit who assured them of their acceptance. Psalm 51.12, Acts 15, verse 8. Let writer and reader learn to esteem what God does. Let us value a Christian not for his intellect, natural charms, or social position, but for his faith, evidenced by an obedient walk and godly life. We cannot do better in closing our comments upon verse 2 than by giving the practical observations on it of John Owen. 1. Instances or examples are the most powerful confirmations of practical truths. 2. They who have a good testimony from God shall never want reproaches from the world. 3. It is faith alone which from the beginning of the world or from the giving of the first promise was the means and way of obtaining acceptance with God. 4. The faith of true believers from the beginning of the world was fixed on things future, hoped for, invisible. 5. The faith whereby men please God acts itself in a fixed contemplation on things future and invisible, from whence it derived an encouragement and strength to endure and abide firm in profession against all opposition and persecutions. 6. Men may be despised, vilified, and reproached in the world, yet if they have faith, 
if they are true believers, they are accepted with God and He will give them a good report. Unquote. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Hebrews 11 verse 3 There is a much closer connection between this verse and the two preceding ones than most of the commentators have perceived. The Apostle is still setting forth the importance and excellency of faith. Here he affirms that through it its favored possessors are enabled to apprehend things which are high above the reach of human reason. The origin of the universe presents a problem which neither science nor philosophy can solve, as is evident from their conflicting and ridiculous attempts. But that difficulty vanishes entirely before faith. Through faith we understand. Faith is the vehicle or medium of spiritual perception. If thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. John 11 verse 40 Matthew Henry declared, Which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. 1 Timothy 4 verse 3 Faith is not a blind reliance on the word of God, but an intelligent persuasion of its veracity, wisdom, beauty. So far from Christians being the credulous fools the world deems them, they are the wisest of earth's inhabitants. The fools are they who are slow of heart to believe. Luke 24 verse 25 Through faith in what has been revealed in the scriptures, we know that the universe is created and fashioned by God. What does faith give us to understand concerning the worlds, that is, the upper, middle, lower regions of the universe? First, that they were not eternal, nor did they produce themselves, but they were made by another. Second, that the maker of the world is God. He is the maker of all things, and whosoever is so must be God. Three, that he made the world with great exactness. It was a framed work in everything, duly adapted and disposed to answer its ends and to express the perfections of the creation. Fourth, that God made the world by his word, that is, by his essential wisdom and eternal Son, and by his active will, saying, Let it be done, and it was done. Fifth, that the world was thus framed out of nothing, out of no pre-existent matter, contrary to the received maxim, that out of nothing, nothing can be made, which, though true of created power, can have no place with God, who can call things that are not as if they were, and command them into being. These things we understand by faith. Unquote. That the worlds were framed by the word of God. The word for worlds in the Greek signifies ages. 
but by a metonymy it is here used of the universe. According to John Gill, the celestial world with its inhabitants, the angels, the starry and ethereal worlds with all that is in them, the sun, moon, stars, and fowls of the air, the terrestrial world with all upon it, man, beast, and so forth, and the watery world, the sea, and all that is therein. Unquote. These worlds were made at the beginning of mundane time and have continued throughout all ages. John Owen said, The Apostle accommodated his expression to the received opinion of the Jews and their way of expressing themselves about the world. Olam denotes the world as to the subsistence of it and as to its duration. Unquote. We do not, then, espouse Bullinger's strange view of this verse. The worlds or universe were framed, that is, were adjusted and disposed into a wise and beautiful order by the word of God. That expression is used in a threefold sense. First, there is the essential and personal word, the eternal Son of God. John 1 verse 1. Second, there is the written ever-living word, the Holy Scriptures. John 10.35 Third, there is the word of power or manifestation of the invincible will of God. It is the last mentioned that is in view in Hebrews 11.3. The Greek for word is not logos, as in John 1 verse 1, but arema, as in Hebrews 1.3. Arema signifies a word spoken. The reference is to God's imperial fiat, his effectual command as throughout Genesis 1. God said, the manifestation of his invincible will, let light be, and light was. For he spake, and it was done, he commanded, and it stood fast. Psalm 33 verse 9. An illustration of the word of his power, see Hebrews 1 verse 3, is found in John 5, verses 28 and 29. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. There is some difficulty in the Greek in ascertaining the precise meaning of this phrase. Personally, we are inclined to regard it as referring back to Genesis 1, verse 2. The verse before us concerns more directly the fashioning of the present heavens and earth, though that necessarily presupposes their original creation. The elements were submerged and darkness enshrouded them. The practical force of the verse to us is, our faith does not rest upon what appears outwardly, but is satisfied with the bare word of God. Since God created the universe out of nothing, how easily can he preserve and sustain us when there is not anything, to our view, in sight? He who can call worlds into existence by the word of his power can command supplies for the neediest of his creatures.
Chapter 2 The Faith of Abel Hebrews 11 verse 4 The eleventh chapter of Hebrews has three divisions. The first, which comprises verses 1 to 3, is introductory, setting forth the excellency of faith. The second, which is covered by verses 4 to 7, outlines the life of faith. The third, which begins at verse 8 and runs to the end of the chapter, fills in that outline and, as well, describes the achievements of faith. The first division we went over in chapter 1. There we saw the excellency of faith proved by four facts. Faith gives a reality and substantiality unto those things which the Word of God warrants us to hope for. Verse 1. Faith furnishes proof to the heart of those spiritual things which cannot be discovered by our natural senses. Verse 1 Faith secured to the Old Testament saints a good report. Verse 2 Faith enables its favored possessors to understand that which is incomprehensible to mere reason, imparting a knowledge to which philosophers and scientists are strangers. Verse 3 Thus, The tremendous importance and inestimable value of faith is at once apparent. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue Edmonton that's E D M O N T O N Alberta abbreviated capital A capital B Canada T six L three T five you may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, 
as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.